Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Dr. Lee Warren, who's a neurosurgeon, podcaster, and author. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host here, Tyler Brondike. Excited for this conversation. We are speaking with Dr. Lee Warren, who is a neurosurgeon, podcaster, and author, and neurosurgeon, neurosurgery, I don't know if that's a word, but he has a really cool background in science and with his faith as a Christian, as someone who integrates his faith into the work he does. Uh, really fascinating to see how uh, he handles and deals with these moments of trauma and tragedy and loss um, and how we can find hope as well. And so that's his new book called Hope is the First Dose. And so we talk about uh, a brief recap and uh, his background, the loss of his son going into the armed forces as well uh, when Lee was younger, all these moments um, that have been a part of his story. And so how we put the pieces together, how we understand our life story and, uh, and don't turn it about ourselves, but can, can find some good out of it. And so I'm excited for this conversation today. We talk about trauma and tragedy, how to deal with that, how it's sometimes God can heal uh, in the moment, but sometimes it takes longer. And so how can we be patient in that waiting period? Well, before I turn this conversation over, if you'd like to subscribe to our newsletter, go to www.theguyslikeus.com. Again, theguyslikeus.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you can get all the latest podcast updates, episodes. Um, And we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear on guests you'd like to have on the podcast. So uh, please subscribe and we will stay connected. Well, here's my conversation with Lee. Lee, thank you for joining us again for the, the second time on the podcast. Welcome back. Thanks, Tyler. It's great to be back with you. Yes. And so, um, you know, I know it's been a few years here. We last spoke, it was in uh, right kind of around the early 2020, um, and you had just launched a book as well. Um, and so perhaps we can kind of start there. We just would love to, for, uh, you know, there's some new listeners and, you know, folks who aren't familiar with you. So uh, you uh, published a book then, and you kind of give us a little background into your uh, your backstory um, and who you are, and then maybe we can that'll help us uh, frame kind of the, what's what's been happening in the last few years. Absolutely. So I am a neurosurgeon and was in the military uh, for 14 years. I was in the Air Force. So my first book actually was way back in 2014, um, No Place to Hide, which was a kind of a memoir of my time in mm-hmm. Iraq as a combat neurosurgeon. Um, and the backstory that you didn't hear then is that right before that book came out, we lost our son Mitch um, when he was 19. And so the, the book didn't tell the story because it was already in print by the time mm. we lost our son. And then um, six years later, uh, published my second book, which dealt with how people handle hard things in my practice uh, unfortunately as a neurosurgeon I deal with a lot of trauma and tragedy and brain tumors and you know fatal mm-hmm. illnesses and all that so the last time you and I spoke it was about this book that I had written about how do I as a man of faith and a scientist how do I help people 
when I can't fix the problem that they have? How do I help you have hope and press on and pray and try to find some meaning and purpose in your life, even if you're dying from your illness? And sort of while I was preparing that research that led to that book is when we had gone through the loss of our son. So the end of that book kind of gets into sort of what happened in our family and the fact that it, we were one of those, mm-hmm. instead of studying people going through hard things, we became some of those people. And and so it was sort of just this, this story that kind of ended with our big loss and how it affected our faith. And in the years since, um, of course, we've been through a global pandemic and, you know, everybody's gone through a lot of hard times. And these mm-hmm. what I call massive things, these TMTs are the massive things. And I, and I realized that I left the problem short of giving you a plan for when you're going to go through these big things. Because everybody goes through these massive things in their life. And so as a physician, mm-hmm. I felt this sort of responsibility to... With my book, I've seen the interview. I, I told you that we made it through losing our son and that we found our faith, way, way back to faith mm-hmm. somehow, but I didn't tell you sort of how you can do it too. So mm-hmm. this book is a is sort of a, a almost self-help, but starts with the story of what happened, um, the depth of it, really what it's like to lose a child and what it's like for you to go through your massive thing. And then, and then um, just mm-hmm. kind of gets into what we do when we hit these big hard things in life. All right. Well, would, just thinking, you know, uh, you mentioned you spent so much time thinking and researching and trying to help others going through these tough times. Um, and then yourself and your family experiencing one of these TMTs, as you you, you, you call it, um, and actually kind of having to live that out, right? And um, what kind of hear what, you're, uh, what you've been preaching. So just what I'm just curious personally, was it was a lot of the things that you were saying did it just become more real or is there some things that you were saying and you're like, wow, actually this, um, when I actually go through something like this and when I experience this, there's a, a whole new aspect that I, I, I didn't even think about. And so maybe, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's just one of those. No, I think it's both. I think you can understand something you can observe and as a scientist, especially you can observe something and you can explain it and you can help other people understand it. But you don't really know it until you go through it, right? Mm. And, and so I, it, it just sort of dawned on me that, that we were talking about how people grieve and we were talking about how people come to grips with the fact that their father or their wife or their husband or child are dying or, or have gone through these big things. But until we until we got that phone call that Mitch had died, mm. um, I had never actually gone through that grieving process myself. And I found out it's not as orderly and neat as we think it is. You can't put five stages on how you're going to navigate the loss of your son mm-hmm. or the death of your dream or whatever your big mm-hmm. thing is that mm-hmm. happens. Right. So I think it was it was a, a rectifying a, a different a distance between a cognitive understanding of how people experience things and the actual experiential um, understanding mm-hmm. of doing it myself. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, so, so my dad is actually, he's a scientist too. And so he's been, yeah. you know, working, he's been, he's been a, a cell biologist for, for decades now in the Boston area, yeah. kind of working in biotech. And it's so funny because, you know, as a, as a parent, as a dad, he just wants to help out his kids. And so I had some of these moments, you know, I was in the hospital, had um, compartment syndrome when I was younger, uh, had OCD and was diagnosed. And so just went through these kind of traumatic moments. And I, it's, you're right. I remember my dad just kind of going through doing his research, just like continuing to, to look, to try and understand, to diagnose, to look at 
symptoms to then find a plan of approach. Um, but at some point you can do all that, which is good, but then you d- it doesn't always address the grief component or the actual sure. trauma and the pain that you're experiencing, right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I would love that, you know, I think, right, this is, a, this is timely. A lot of people have been going through big moments these last few years and I think are just starting to understand more about trauma, tragedy, and these big, massive things. And so um, would love for you just to hear, yeah, explain a little bit more about kind of what the scope of trauma, tragedy is. I think you've alluded a few times. So it's, you're in a hospital setting. Is it mainly these things that you're considering? Is there other other things that you think can, can have a similar effect on, on uh, that cognitive kind of, uh, yeah, things that are happening? No, I think it's, it's more than just it's more than just medical stuff, right? And so mm-hmm. if you look at life, in fact, Jesus told us two things. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And he's not just talking about going to the hospital and having appendicitis. I mean, you're going to have trouble. And some of it's going to be financial and some of it's going to be, you know, medical and, and some mm-hmm. of it's going to be lost. Somebody else got a diagnosis and died and you and you miss them or grieving over them. Or, and sometimes it's societal. Somebody breaks up with you or yeah. cheats on you or something like that happens to you. And sometimes it's, it's you pursued a goal and you didn't get it or you were passed over for a promotion or something you had your heart set on didn't come to pass. And, and so sometimes it's just a dream that you did that didn't happen that you thought you were going to for sure get to have. Sometimes it's just your worldview gets shattered and mm-hmm. something you thought was true doesn't turn out to be true. And so I, I what I learned from studying people going through these hard things in their families and then in our family is that the thing that can shatter your world doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be an, a, an emotional thing. And those, those things are, are equally impactful in your life because our brain chemistry has a limited palette of, of things that we can feel. So, you know, if you, if you're afraid, for example, if you're, if you're feeling fear, because there's a bear in your garage, that's a mm-hmm. tangible, real thing that you're afraid of. But the feeling of fear and the physiological response to it is exactly the same if you hear a noise in the middle of the night and, mm-hmm. and you you think somebody's breaking into your house, but there's really not anything there. That's That chemical stuff happening in your brain is exactly the same because the brain has a limited palette of what you can feel and experience, right? So so then these, these massive things, as I call them, don't have to be you got a brain tumor they can equally be something emotional or experiential so i think Mm -hmm. the human experience is many things that happen to all of us and the way that we encounter those things and the way that we process them determines whether or not we get to be happy and determine whether or not we get to have a meaningful and purposeful life right Mm -hmm. no and, and so you mentioned this 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 grief this stage and i'm just thinking through now of you know how we understand like the christian worldview this the scriptures of how they are how they address trauma tragedy right and and i think immediately i'm looking at the psalms and thinking through the the range of just kind of processing these um these moments expressing anger expressing frustration um being in in sorrow right in grief um and moving through that and so uh, but would love to hear kind of as you've kind of thought through this and how your faith has impacted now how you're you see trauma tragedy and then on the flip side of that how how you see kind of the the good news of hope um at least is 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 you know told according to the scriptures yeah so i think 
the first thing is, as you alluded to, we, we sometimes in church or sometimes growing up have this idea that Christians are not supposed to be sad or Christians are not supposed to feel hmm. certain things because we've got this hope of you know resurrection and, and joy and all this the spiritual stuff that we say. But the truth is, if you look at the Psalms, for example, if that's the songbook of, of the, the Christian faith, one third of the Psalms are songs of lament. They're, they're songs of, hey, God, this thing hurts. And, hey, God, I don't like this thing. It just doesn't feel like justice to me. And it's, it's giving us an example of people who were allowed to bring their pain to God and, mm-hmm. and grab about it or hurt over it and and how he'll come alongside and say hey it's okay tell me i mean he's a dad and he's saying hey come and tell me what's hurting you so i can help you heal from it and so i think that's the first Mm -hmm. thing is to understand that not only are christians allowed to feel those things but we are encouraged to and and at least a third of our songbook of scripture tells us shows us examples of how to do that so Mm -hmm. in my experience um the first thing was was feeling really almost tricked by God. So I was, you know, this lifelong Christian raised in a Christian home, always taught that it's going to be okay. You know, God's got a plan for your life and all things work together for good and all those things. And I believed them. But then when I lost my son, it happened in a a particular way where we were in the middle of a a 21 days of prayer event with our church and we were getting Mm -hmm. up at six. We're going to church at six every morning for these 21 days to pray for all kinds of things collectively as a church. And the day before, or my son died was the day that we were praying for the children um, and we were praying for our kids mm-hmm. and the youth minister was leading us through all these prayers of you know helping your kids navigate all the things that they, they go through and, and all of that mm-hmm. and then th- that very evening my son died and so wow. I'm like God we've been pursuing you and right. praying to you and, and lifting him up and, and all these things and now you take him away and it felt like a trick like a like a joke almost had been played on us. And the, the mm. morning he died, he called me and we had this amazing conversation. And mm. He said, I love you. And I told him I loved him. The last thing I ever heard my son say was, I love you, dad. And, and uh, then he was gone. And so I was, I went through this, this process of right. feeling like I'd always believed it was going to be okay. And now it wasn't. And I'd always believed if I worked hard and did everything right and was a good dad and all that stuff that everything would work out for my kids. And in retrospect, it's it's naive of me to have thought that because I'm a neurosurgeon. I see people lose their kids every day. Right. And I, you know, somebody falls off a skateboard and hits their head or doesn't wear a helmet and rides their bike and gets hit by a car and all that stuff. I see that. I live with that. I see people, Mm -hmm. kids have brain tumors and Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. So, and even my own brother lost a child 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had experience around me of of the fact that it's ordinary. It's Mm -hmm. normal for people to lose children, but I thought it wasn't going to happen to me. (laughs) And when it did, it made me really mad. So for a while, I, I, I didn't know how to voice that to God. And, and so I kind of stopped talking to him for a little while. And then I found my way back because I, I remembered that all the other times I've been through hard things. I've been through a divorce. I've been to war. And I've done, dealt with PTSD. And I've been, been through lots of hard stuff. And every time what got me through it was turning back and remembering that God was faithful and that he had given me promises that turned out to be true. And, and, mm-hmm. I, and I remembered all that stuff. So I, th- I thought my only hope if I really want to see my son again someday is for that to be true, that there's a resurrection. Mm-hmm. And if there's a resurrection and I can believe that promise, then I've got to believe these other promises too because if they're if one's true, they all have to be mm-hmm. true. And if one's a lie, then you can't trust any of them. So I decided that my only hope was to grab onto those promises and to pursue them. And so I started praying that way, the lament prayer. God, I'm really mad at you about this. I'm really upset about this. And it turns out it, it helps. It helps to voice what you're feeling. 
And it's just like a, a parent with your kids. Like you want them to tell you what they're going through and what they're feeling because mm-hmm. that's how you can have a better relationship. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned, right, was this this time frame. And I, I that that's just really interesting because it, you in this 21 days of prayer and you said that particular day was the day, especially praying for kids, for children. Yep. And it was at that moment that when you were pressing in and leaning into God and believing in these promises and these things that they were taken away from you. And, and yeah. so that must have been even more, even harder because you're seeking after God and you almost, I don't know what, what and I know a lot of people are experienced that too. Was that one of the, one of the hardest things for you or was that a challenging part for you to, to wrestle with as you're like, well, I'm believing in these promises, but they don't seem to be like I think they are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it really was. It was, um, like I said, it felt like a dirty trip. You know, it was, it, it was right. worse than just if we hadn't been praying for the kids and we lost one, that we might have had the flip side might have been, oh, if we'd only prayed for them, you know, it, you, don't, you don't know what you're going to feel. Right. But it, it really did feel like that. And what I learned through the process is that, that God's promises are all true. Yeah. But we sometimes make up promises that we think he gave us and he didn't. Like he never says he never said, all your kids are going to make it to adulthood and they're going to bury you someday. He never says yeah. that. What he says in John 16, is, you're going to have trouble in this world, Tyler. And mm-hmm. the backside of that is, but I've overcome the world. Like, there's mm-hmm. going to come a time when this stuff doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's going to come a day when all this stuff's going to be made right and you're going to understand everything. And so for me, I had to say, okay, I need to believe mm-hmm. that because I, I there's not a path to peace and healing and hope again mm-hmm. if it's not true that I get to see my son again someday. There's mm-hmm. just not a path to that. If, if it's just right. a black hole and you close your eyes when you take your last breath and it's all over, right. then this doesn't make any sense. And I just, that's why Paul said in the New Testament, if, if there's no resurrection, then we're just to be pitied more than all men if we go around believing all this stuff and it's not true. And so I held on to that promise. And then I started noticing other promises were coming true. Mm-hmm. And one, a good example is Romans 8, 28, which is the worst thing you can ever say to anybody right after they lose somebody, but people right, do. Right. Hey, all things are going to work together for good. That's true, but it's awful to hear that when you right. lose somebody. Don't say that to somebody. <laughs> if you're yeah, listening, you're yeah. wondering what not, yeah. not to say. That's what not to say. Don't say that. But what happens is over time, as time passes, things start showing up in your life. And a good example is this. I started writing and, and writing letters to my kids, and writing, it turned into a newsletter that other people got, and that's now read in every country, or 40 or 50 countries around the world every week. And, and then I started podcasting and started writing books and all that stuff after we lost Mitch. And twice in the last 10 years since we lost him, somebody has reached out to me and said, Dr. Warren, today was the day that I was going to take my own life because I was so hopeless. And the thing that you said gave me some hope, and I'm not going to kill myself. And that's Mm. happened twice now. Mm. And so that's a good thing Mm. that somebody survived Mm. because of my words. Mm. Mm. And those words would not have been spoken if I hadn't lost my son. So there's good that has come out. There's there's some redeeming things that have come out of that loss, even though that thing that happened of losing Mitch will never be good. So what Romans 8.28 says is not that everything will be good if you love God, but that God can work good out of every situation. And what happens then over time is you start seeing that come true and it starts giving some redemption and some meaning to the losses that we suffer, these massive things. And so Mm -hmm. for me, for example, 
there, there had been some good things that came out of losing Mitch that he would be proud of. Mm. And he was such a generous and kind person. He would have said, yeah, that's good, Dad. You did a good thing out of this pain. You didn't just let my death kill you too. And I'm proud of you. Like I, I see that Hebrews 12. Sorry, I choked myself up. I see that Hebrews yeah. 12 um, scripture about the great cloud of witnesses, right? They, mm-hmm. They're up there cheering us on. And I see my son up there, and he's like, yeah, Dad, you did a good job with that. You, mm-hmm. you turned that pain into something that's helping other people. Yeah. That's a good thing. And I think that's what Romans 8, 28 right. is, Tyler. I think it's that he can make something good happen out of this big mess of our lives that happen. Right. No, that's good. And... Um... One of the things I'm immediately thinking, right? You talk about trauma, tragedy, and it's these these one these moments, right? But the window seems like it's always echoing in the back of your head. For and there's other things that you'd notice, don't notice, that come back in life, and it can be frustrating, it can be painful, uh, it can just be annoying sometimes having to to wrestle to deal with these things that you think sometimes you overcome, and sometimes I think by God's grace He does bring full healing. But some yeah. some sense, right? There is things that are there's a this Paul was Paul would say there's a thorn in the flesh, right? And there's some things you hold on to, and they require patience. And um, I'm just looking at James five the, yesterday, and it was folks were getting really, um, you know, they were getting impatient because they thought the Lord would be coming soon, and He Lord God isn't coming, and so we desire yeah. these things and we grumble and we judge one, one another because it gets us in this this restlessness and so how do we yep. you know how do we live in the in life after right these massive events okay we would love just to hear how you're you know how you've uh, done that yourself how you've kind of how you process that well i think the, the first thing is um I, i'm a doctor so i i view everything sort of things come to me metaphorically as a writer and a doctor in sort of medical mm-hmm. terms. I'm always thinking of things just show up in a medical way. And if I was a plumber, it might be something sure. else. <laughs> time, time to get you, you know, cracking again or something. But I, but I right. have these medical ideas. And so I started looking for evidence through scripture and through other people around me, other patients and other bereaved parents that I started kind of collecting and other people mm-hmm. who were hurting in different ways. How do people manage to get through these things? And how do, the, how do some people make it to a happiness or wholeness again and other people don't and i started Mm -hmm. noticing there are patterns of Hmm. how people react and respond Hmm. and the the thing that seems to separate the people who crash and never recover from the people who make it and, and stay or find their way back to hope again is this ability to separate to sort of cleave our emotional state from our circumstances and so if you can if you can see that how you feel doesn't have to be tied directly to what happens to you in your life. That, that you can define happiness and, and purpose and meaning and, and joy and all those terms mm-hmm. separate and apart from do you ha- did you have a good day today or not or did, did something bad happen today or not. If you can learn how to cleave those things, you can find a way to, to set your life on things that can't be taken from you. Mm-hmm. So the one thing is if you, if you define mm-hmm. your ability to have a happy life as I have to have a certain amount of money mm-hmm. or I have to have a certain career, or I have to have this person be faithful to me forever, I have to have my kids all outlive me. If those things are what makes you happy, then hmm. all of those things you can lose. You can right. lose all of them at right. any time, right. as we've learned from losing our son. Yeah. So the, the first long answer to your question is sure. you, you, you get wrecked by things 
and then you say, wait, I, I don't want to live in a wrecked state. So what can I do to, to make myself not be wrecked anymore? And the first thing is, is there a place I can put my foot and hmm. land again that isn't going to crumble when something else bad happens in my life? And for me, mm-hmm. that turns into that, that's faith. That's right. And what faith does is gives you a solid place to stand so the bottom's not always dropping out every time some negative circumstance occurs, right? Because mm-hmm. those negative circumstances are going to occur. I mean, mm-hmm. You're going to get a bad, some bad news or bad diagnosis. Or something, something bad's going to happen in your life, medical or experiential. And so if you can then stand up on mm-hmm. that solid floor and say, I've, I've made some decisions. I've set my mind on some things that are going to be true mm-hmm. no matter what happens. Then you can start building from there. So I started seeing this as a... How do we go through the Bible and look, or how do we look at people who have done this before? And I noticed something that was kind of stunning. One of my chaplain friends, shortly after Mitch died, when I had to go back to work, he said, you'll find some answers in Lamentations when you're ready. And Lamentations is this horrible book. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's called Lamentations for a Reason. There's a lament and there's pain. But the story is basically five chapters of the fall of Jerusalem and Jerusalem's ransacked by the Babylonians and, and it starts in this the first two chapters are just awful that the king's been murdered and the women are mm-hmm. pillaged and the children are starving to death and the city's been ransacked and all this horrible thing is mm-hmm. happening one in chapter one and chapter two and then you get to chapter three and the guy who's telling the story who's obviously not been murdered or you know he's not mm-hmm. starving to death in the street he's somewhere safe enough that he's writing on a scroll and telling us this story and he says i am the man who has seen the wrath of god's affliction like he's making it about himself even though he hasn't died from this thing and so the first thing i saw when i when i got to limitations hmm. was this guy's individualizing this cultural experience that's happening to lots of people and he's saying i'm the man that's hurting He's making it about himself. Hmm. And I started beating him up in my mind, and then God sort of told me, hey, wait a minute. You think you've been through the worst thing anybody's ever been through, even though you have had a practice for 20 years of people who are dying of brain cancer and who lose their kids, and you're surrounded by people who are going through massive things all the time, and yet you're telling me every night, how can this have happened to me? Right. And that really hit me hard. Like, wow. okay, I'm doing the same thing the guy in Limitations is doing. And then chapter three, this pivotal thing happens where in the middle of this passage where he says, I have lost all hope. I have forgotten what it means to have peace. I have forgotten what hope is. The next verse he says, but in this I will take hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You can go through that. Mm-hmm. What he does, though, he makes a decision that he will remember that God has done good things before and that God has the power to rest, restore and, and rectify the situation that he's in the middle of. And he's just decided that even though he feels hopeless, he's going to do something to take hope. And that, that doing something is a verb. It's an action word. Hmm. He's going to choose to fight for hope. And the most important part of that hmm. revelation that I had is that he makes that decision in chapter 3 of a five-chapter story. And chapter 4 and chapter 5 are still terrible. So he doesn't wait until it resolves to decide that God was trustworthy. He hmm. decides that God is trustworthy, and that's how he makes it through the next two terrible chapters hmm. of the story. So what I then learned was I can't wait to see if God's going to give me a bunch of good circumstances again before I decide that I can find my way to happiness again after losing my son. He says, John ten ten, I came here to this hard world in which you're going to have trouble so that you can have an abundant life. Mm. 
So Jesus gives us these two things. You're going to be, it's going to be hard and you can be abundant too. It's going to be hard, but you can find joy also. And so I realized it has to be and, it can't be but. I can't say I was okay until I lost my son. I was okay, but my son died and now I can't be okay again. Hmm. It has to be, I was okay and my son died and I still have a beautiful family. I still have four other children and grandchildren and a beautiful wife, and I've got a life that means something, and was what turned me around. Hmm. And that's what happened in Lamentations right. 3. So so the long answer to your question is that, that, you, that these traumas and these massive things can be the thing that happened in your life, and they can define the rest of your story, or they can be a thing that happens in your life, and you can heal from them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot, lot. It's a really good example, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it is, and and I think it kind of goes against the notion. And I've heard this, you know, hearing other folks. Well, Lord, you know, I'll follow God if these things happen. If I can, if I can see the promises. If you know, and it's almost like we kind of make like a, in I don't know, like an agreement with God, you know, or like this yeah. oath of or like you deal. know, deal. Like, all right, you know, show this. And and, and you're right. I think it kind of goes against the notion because I think. And oftentimes that's what people following Jesus would, would want to see is they would want to see these things. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't, they, were, they weren't always answered. Um, and yeah. so what, what is our posture? What is our heart? What are we desiring in the midst of it? Because I, I like that because then that helps us um, understand and, and live into hope uh, because there always yeah. is going to be kind of these continued moments of pain and suffering. That's right. And... Um, yeah, no, that's good. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I even mentioned it yet, but your your book is uh, is going to be available by the time this podcast releases. Hope is the first dose: a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. Um, is there anything else that you're really hoping for for readers um, to to get out of this book? Who is this? You know, who is this for? Um, and yeah, anything else you kind of would like to, uh, to say about this book? Yeah, I think so. I have some credibility to tell you that you can start in this really negative place and find your way back to peace. So start there. The second thing is the book builds progressively towards a plan that will get you back to hope no matter Mm. what you're going through. And we do that through this self brain surgery process that I talk about in a treatment plan that involves Mm. sort of preparing yourself for these big things. We spend a lot of time in our lives, Tyler, preparing for what happens if we have a flat tire or we mm-hmm. need to give somebody CPR or mm-hmm. we, you know, catch on fire. We all know to stop, drop, and roll, even though we don't usually catch on fire. But we don't spend much time preparing hmm. for these big, massive things that happen in our lives, emotional mm-hmm. things, wounds that occur in our, in our hearts. And so I wanted to give you some ability to prepare and have a plan in place to treat those mm-hmm. things. And then that's really what I hope you get out of the book. Yeah. No, thank you. And that just was kind of bringing back something you mentioned as well as how do we place our hope in something that is not going to change, right? And obviously the firm foundation, right? And because a lot of the things we do put our hope in, right, whether it's in these moments can be alcohol or drugs. And, and unfortunately, they don't love you back. <laughs> That's right. And, and they, they ultimately lead to your destruction, as, as do other many other things in our life where we put our hope in, it's never going to reach um, the desire of the fulfillment of the perfection that we think or we desire or want them to. Um, and I think that's why it's this, we have to loosely hold on to these things, uh, because we know that they, they can, they can pass. Right. 
uh, and then they will come to pass. And so we, as it kind of talks about, is storing up our treasure in heaven, right? And so, no, that's good. I was just reflecting on that of how important that is because when you hold on and you're when you're able to 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 separate these 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 components of your life, um, and you're able to hold on to to faith. then they're, they're, you're on much better footing. And so it was encouraging to kind of hear these patterns and trends um, as you're mentioning that story. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, this, this is fantastic. And, um, you know, I've really enjoyed this conversation and um, just hearing a little bit more about your experience, your background. And so just would love for, you know, folks want to learn more or get connected with you. What are What's a, a good way to do so? Yeah, my website, wleewarnmd.com. Um, I write a weekly letter we call self Retreats on Substack, drleewarn.substack.com. Mm-hmm. And then podcasting too, like you, um, 116 countries around the world listen every week to nice. self-prince retreats. So I'd be happy to connect with your listeners too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Lee. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tyler. God bless you. Thanks. God bless.